So uh, you have, you've joined us, uh, like I said, for the next installment of uh, Living Between the Lines slash Short Talks, Hot Topics. And this month is on finances um, in terms of, you know, what, what does the Bible say about finance and money? Um, you know, what does the Bible tell us in terms of how we approach it, how we use it, um, and how we walk that out? So we'll get into the questions. Can we pray first? Are you that worried? Yeah. All right, let's, let's pray. Father, as uh, we come to you, we pray that you would open up your heart to us, that you would speak to us, and that our hearts would be in tune with your heart. Uh, we thank you that uh, we, have, we have sung here this evening that your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And we pray that, that you would enable that to happen for each one of us here this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. I think next time we do a series like this, we should call it Wisdom with the Wise One. <laughs> I, they would will su- fuck I, would, I would suggest that we change seats then. <laughs> <laughs> First question, and the most important and deeply spiritual one, is uh, can we do the lottery? <laughs> Now, let me, let, me, let, me, let me just say this. In, in the notes, he said, we'll start with someone, something very humorous. And I, I thought, well, that's, that's not really funny. But I do remember when I was a young pastor going to, to visit someone uh, one Thursday evening. And the man of the house was not a Christian. And the lady was, she was out the back and she was hanging out washing. And... Um, sat and talked with, with Jimmy. That, that was his name. So I sat and talked with Jimmy for a while. And, and we were going through a building program in the church. We were building a brand new church. And uh, he said to me, Pastor, I have a wee question for you. You see, if I get the pulls up on Saturday, would you accept a donation to the church? And I sat and looked at him, and I, I didn't know, didn't know what, really knew what to say. And then, I, and then I remembered something that, that Samuel Brangle had said. And he, he was the founder of the, not, yeah, it was Brangle from the, the Salvation Army. And, and the Salvation Army was accused of taking tainted money. And he said this, there's only one thing wrong with tainted money. There taint enough of it. And he said, we'll take all the tainted money and sanctify it and use it for the Lord's glory, right? So I'm sitting thinking about all of that. And um, <laughs> uh, I said to Jimmy, Jimmy, if I find out that you've won the pools this Saturday, I'll be ruined with a wheelbarrow on Monday. <laughs> now, just at that, his wife walked through the door and he said, Anne, come here. The pastor says it's all right to do the pools. <laughs> <laughs> and they'd been having this big discussion about whether it was, it was ethical or not. And, then, and so I, I was landed in the middle of all of that. Um, but let me, let me just explain to you as a church and as the Church of the Nazarene, this, this is our position here. And I'm going to have to get my glasses on to read that. Um, lotteries and other forms of gambling, whether legal or illegal. That's the title of it. The church holds that the final result of these practices is detrimental both to the individual and society. And so we, we discourage our people from doing the lottery. Okay. All right. Next question. What are some of the basic principles and guidelines in the Scripture on how we earn, spend, and think about money? Well, um, I'm, I'm not too sure whether I've, I've covered this um, question in the terms of earning money. Um, the Bible says that the workman is, is worth his hire. I think that in the biblical principle there is that, that if we're employed by someone else, we should look upon our employment as we're working for the Lord. And, and we, we, we live our lives like that. 
Um, other people may, may slack off early. Other people may come into work late. And, um, but we as Christians should set an example. All right. Now, I, I hadn't even thought about that part of the question. But the principles, I want to, to lift a, a verse of scripture, which I reckon is one of the most misquoted verses of scripture. And it comes from um, 1 Timothy 6.10. And it says this, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, people will tell you this, from this verse of scripture, that money is the root of all evil. No, it's not. It's not. And the Bible doesn't say that money is the root of all evil. Money can be used for good, or it can be used for evil. It's our attitude to money that is, is good or evil. So it's, it's not that money in itself is evil. You can use money for good, or you can use it for evil. All right? Now, I had a, had a good look at this, and, and J.B. Phillips' translation of this, if you, if you want to have a look at, at, at a translation, just, just Google um, 1, 1 Timothy 6.10 and put J.B. Phillips and, and, and you'll get this translation, all right? So there are three parts to it. So you follow me, Emma, when we're going through this. Uh, for men who set their hearts on being wealthy expose themselves to temptation. They fall into one of the world's traps and lay themselves open to all sorts of silly and wicked desires which are quite capable of utterly ruining and destroying their souls. For loving money leads to all kinds of evil. And some men in the struggle to be rich have lost their faith and caused themselves untold agonies of mind. Now, now Jesus, when he, when he was talking about principles, he, he talked about you know, the, the rich farmer who built more barns and wanted to make himself wealthy. And, and Jesus made this statement, what shall it profit a man if he gains everything that he wants, if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? And, and Paul's picking this up in uh, 1 Timothy 6.10, and, and he's saying exactly the same thing. If you get the wrong um, attitude towards money and, and you be you want more and more and more for yourself. And your attitude to money is, is wrong. There's, there's a chance that it can, can lead you away from your own personal faith and trust in God. It, it's almost like an independence kind of thing. One of the, um, one of the curses, I think, of, of the Western world today is that we, we no longer need to pray the Lord's Prayer. Because the Lord's Prayer says that, that we should ask the Lord for our daily bread. Well, the truth is, if we don't provide our own daily bread, the state will provide it for us. And, and we, we have lost our dependency on God. And Paul's warning against all of that. He's, he's saying, look, have a right attitude towards money and realize that, that God is the one who provides for you. And, and create an, an attitude of dependence on him. Now, on the, the screen, the Apostle Paul says this about his own life. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, and here's, here's the ethic of, of working hard, we must help the weak, remembering the words that the Lord Jesus himself said. It's more blessed to give than to receive. And so if you work hard and you have enough money, you, you, should, you should develop an attitude whereby you become generous with your money and help those who are less fortunate um, than yourself. And I, I think maybe the other principle that I want to bring out um, is from Proverbs 22, 7. And it says this, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is a slave to the lender. That's the last part. 
that, that I really want to try and, and emphasize here because <clears throat> we believe that, that Jesus is the emancipator. Jesus is the liberator. Jesus breaks the bonds of sin and our bondage to sin. Here's something here that in the Old Testament that clearly tells us that, that if, you, if you run and borrow money to have a lifestyle that's beyond your means, you become a slave to the lender. And I don't, I don't think God wants his people to be in bondage to anyone or anything. We've been set free by Jesus. Hallelujah. All right, so those are some of the principles. Okay, so what's interesting I found about um, the series is that there's so many crossovers with other topics that we've talked about. Um, And if you remember back, the first one we did was on marriage and relationships. And so out of then this conversation or or kind of this this cross between finances and relationship and married, I, (laughs) you and Ruth have been married. What I put down initially was 30 years because I didn't want to offend you and say- Over over 30 years. Over 30 years. Um, I didn't want to make any statements on- you. Uh, so <laughs> you, you said that you're, you're married over or 43 years? 40, 40, 44 this year. 44 years, right? So I guess nearly five, four and a half decades of marriage. And so the question following on from that is, would you have any advice for married couples um, when it comes to finances, particularly maybe <laughs> even young couples who are just starting out in marriage? Um, what would your advice be when it comes to, to dealing with Finances. Let Ruth do it. <laughs> that that's it. I, I take I take nothing to do with it. Um, when when we first get married, we we lived in Balamina. I was a teacher in Mahara, and um, my first pay check came to our flat, and the postman came about half past ten, and um, I left the house shortly after eight o'clock. And, and so I, I never ever got my check. <laughs> it, was, it was put into the bank. And, and to be honest with you, I, I didn't know how much I earned. And I wasn't interested in how much I earned. Um, now, I'm, you've asked me personally now, all right? So I'm just telling you the way things are yeah. in the house, right? So whenever, whenever we, we come into to ministry, um, <laughs> the, the church treasurer in, in Irvine came to me one Sunday evening, the last Sunday of the month, and, and you got your, no, it was weekly then, wasn't it? It was weekly. He came to me the first week, and, and he, he gave me this envelope, and I said, what's that? He said, that's your week's salary. And I said, no point in giving it to me, you better give it to Ruth. And, and he would always go to her and give, give her the money. And then they decided to pay us monthly and she would, she would get it monthly. Um, and if he forgot it on the Sunday, we'd maybe get it the following Sunday or maybe the Wednesday after that. But, but anyway, um, Ruth, Ruth look, has looked after the money. Um, and there are, there are a couple of personal principles that I, that I think that we've, we've applied. Let, bring up the next slide there. Um, suppose, this is, this is Jesus talking, I, I think this is lovely. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower, won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Now, here's the principle that, that Ruth has laid for us in our marriage in dealing with finances. Live within your means. Just cut the cloth according to what you've got. Now, that meant for us, and I'm going to be really personal with you, um, that meant for us that when, when we went to Bible college and we went in faith to Bible college, so I, I, I didn't have an income. And, um, our Sunday, Sunday roast was a Bernard Matthews frozen 
turkey joint or lamb joint, which was next to nothing, you know. But we, we didn't eat the expensive cuts of meat. And so Ruth was always adamant that we would live within our means, that we wouldn't get into debt, as um, Proverbs 22, 7 says. And, and we, would, we would just live conservatively, you know. Uh, we've, we've talked with our kids um, since, since they've grown up. And we've always tried to say, look, we honored God and God honored us. He looked after us. And they are absolutely blown away because they knew nothing about some of the hardship that we went through. Um, and we would never, ever let them think that the church ever did them out of anything. And they, they always came first. They got before we got whenever they were growing up. And, and I didn't want them to point the finger and say, uh, it was because the church didn't give you a good wage that, that, that we, we lost out. And, and they're totally blown away because Christmases were, were amazing for them. Now, here's the truth. Whenever they were really, really young, they had lots of Christian aunties and uncles in the church that helped us to make Christmas special for them. And, and that, I think that's God's way of, of just honoring, you know, our right attitude to, to money. And um, that's, that's how it's been for us. Um, bring up the next one, Emma, because this one here, um, whenever, whenever we stood in front of the congregation here in, in 1984 to go to, to Bible college, um, they, give us, they give us a little check um, to help us on our way. And they give us um, a brass etching with this verse of scripture on it. It still hangs in our home today. And every home that we've, we've had since, since we've gone into ministry, the, this, this text is, is clearly visible. My God will meet all of your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Um, and, and that has been a principle that, that we've lived with as well. Live within your means. But whenever things get tough, go to him and talk to him about it. Um, I remember we were in, in Bible college. And, and tell me if I'm wrong, Ruth. You can shout if I'm wrong. But those, those were the happiest days of our lives when we had nothing. We, we, we were just totally dependent on God. Totally. And, and there was one day uh, um, a gas bill and an electricity bill <laughs> appeared at the same time. And the two of us looked at each other and we didn't have the money to pay either of them. And, and this, this text was hanging in the living room. And, and I remember taking the, the two bills into the living room and, and laying them on the floor. And I got down on the floor and I said to the Lord, Lord, these are your bills because you brought us here and, and somehow you're going to have to pay these. And I don't even know how you're going to do that, but, but we can't afford to pay these. Well, next day, there was a check arrived in the post that was more than the two bills and, and it came as a love gift from somebody and it, it covered uh, the two bills. And we decided that um, <laughs> I remember. Uh, let me. Let me. I'm finished. I can finish. You want to finish this? All right. right I can finish. Go for it. Ms. Chanda. No, no. It's all right. I can. Whatever. I, I can't even remember the amount that was left over. But I knew that there was a student. We knew that there was a student that was struggling in college. And we were able to put the remainder of the money into an envelope and put it into a pigeonhole with his name on it. And to hear him testify that God had met his need was amazing. 
because he stood up in, in chapel service and, and said that, that God had just met his need anonymously and it was tremendous. And I think that's part of the joy of being a Christian. <laughs> you know, when God has, has blessed you and you, you give generously, just the, to hear somebody praise God and honor God does something deep down inside you. Go ahead, you were going to say something. I was going to say, just some of the stuff he said, because I grew up in a month and just kind of relating to some of the things your kids had said there. I remember two things I think came out of that one was, was the whole thing about generational attitude towards giving and the second was the beauty of simplicity. So my dad tells a story. He was, uh, when he started out of ministry, he didn't have a salary. He was asked to go and plant a church in Perth in Scotland. And uh, he, he remembers when I was born and he was trying to pay for a wee pair of shoes, my first pair of shoes, and he, he really what it came down to was having a wee bit more that month in terms of food, in terms of heating and all the rest of it, and me being able to have shoes on my feet. And he said what tipped the decision for, for him <clears throat> was uh, that my granny, when she had nothing, always made sure that him and his sisters had shoes on their feet. And so what she would do is she would push cardboard down her shoes to make her to last a wee bit longer so that my dad and her, my aunties, could have, could have shoes. And so what he did was he took that and then he applied it to me and my brother. So when my mum and dad had nothing, we still have shoes on our feet. And so there's something, I think, in what Pastor Philip's saying is that the attitude you adopt to your finances is the exact same attitude that your kids are going to adopt. Mm-hmm. So think carefully about your attitude. Think carefully about how you talk about money around the house as well. And the second thing then that Philip mentioned was simplicity. It was only really when we grew up, and like you were saying, your kids only caught on as well. See, when we were growing up, we thought everything was amazing, right? We had a great childhood. We, church was just, for us, church was just the best place in the world, because that's what we were taught up to have the perspective to have. Um, But when you look back, there was times, especially early on in ministry, where we look back, and Ruben and I realized, as my brother, that we actually didn't always have very much, right? And that's not a, you know, woe is me or anything. But when we would talk to my mum and dad about it and say, you know, what was it like when you had to scrape whatever was left in the cupboards to put dinner together? Most stuff was onion. (laughs) Um, You know, what was it like when you were struggling to keep the car going and to keep the electric on? And they would say, oh, those days were so simple. It was so good. And we'd be like, what? But everything they said was just so much more simpler Mm. and so much more easy. Mm. And they said, those days were the best days because there's beauty and I think there's godliness in simplicity. Hmm. And so if you're going, whatever your financial situation is tonight and there's a whole spectrum represented in the room, if you're going through a simple time, cherish it, hold on to it because there's beauty and there's honor in living with simplicity. And the last thing I'll say is this based off what you had said as well, Never, for parents in the room, never ever blame God for a financial situation, ever. Um, and it's easy to do. It was very easy, I'm sure, for us to do and for your family to do because you're in ministry and it's very easy then just to tie everything to God and say, oh, well, it was God's fault or it's God's problem or God led me down here. When you get into a financial difficulty or maybe things are tight this month, if you decide to talk in your home with faith and with belief, rather than blaming God. Again, that's something you're going to pass on to your kids. And because money was never talked about negatively in our house, we never had to deal with the burden of it. And so if you talk carefully about money in your home and you talk with faith and you're still, I was going to, I was going to use a very youth term there, vibing, but that's not, that's not the word to use. Still, still talking up God and still blessing God, your kids will follow suit in that so that they never, ever blame God for something that's not actually his fault. So in your house, if you're living simply, cherish it because they're beautiful, beautiful, simple days that you may long for if things become a little more complicated. Never blame God for financial difficulty, especially when you're around your kids. And your attitude to your finances is exactly the same attitude you're going to pass on to the next generation in your house and in our church. So yeah. Good. Would you like the next question? No, I, there's, there's maybe maybe a couple of, I, I don't know, I, if it would maybe help people to, as I said, we, we, we really didn't have anything when we were in Bible college. 
when I was a, a student in teacher training college away from home, I trained in Kent for my teacher training. And whenever um, we, would, we would travel into Canterbury to, to the Baptist Church in Canterbury because it was the place that all the students went to and it was, it was haven at the time and it was electric and everything. But the, the PE college that I, that I attended was, was out in the sticks and um, the, the rail strike happened. There was a national rail strike back in the 70s. And um, <clears throat> we, my friend and I, we, we found... We, we walked past a little Baptist church in the village to go to the train to get into the Canterbury. And I said to him, why don't we go in here and instead of, you know, thumbing a lift? We thumbed a couple of weeks into, into Canterbury. I said, instead of thumbing a lift, why don't, why don't we just go in here? And we went in and there were six people in the church. And there was a, a couple who were teachers and, and they said to us, would you like to come back for, for tea? <laughs> now, when you're a student and you're away from home, Sundays are awful, especially when you know that your mom and dad have prepared a nice Sunday lunch. And, you know, there's, there's going to be meat left over for nice sandwiches later on in the evening and all that kind of stuff. And, and Jerry and I looked at each other and, and we said, can we? And they said, yeah, 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 come. Well, the name of the couple was Mr. and Mrs. Onions. <laughs> <laughs> but but they, 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 gave us, they gave us supper and, you know, um, the, the service was at three o'clock in the afternoon. So about, about five o'clock, we went to the Onions house. And um, as we were leaving the house, they said, we'll see you next week. You know, question mark. And, and the two of us looked at each other and said, Dead right, <laughs> you know. We'll, we'll see. You. We'll see you next week. Um, but we we went to the Christian Union in, in college. Yeah. Now there were about forty of us, right? So we we went in and they had a wee testimony time. So Jerry and I got up and said, "Oh, we went to the wee Baptist church down the road and blah 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 and all the rest of it." Mr. and Mrs. Onions invited us back for for supper. Well, we had forty there on the following <laughs> Sunday. And I'm, I'm not, no word of a lie, Mr. and Mrs. Onions had us all back to their house every Sunday, every single Sunday. And, and I said, whenever, whenever we were in Bible college, that we would do the same for students because we, left, we lived off campus. There were, the college had a flat, and, and that's another story. Ruth and I were lying in bed one night and the ceiling fell in on us. Um, the, the water was running down the walls, went into the kitchen one night and there was a rat sitting. And oh. I, 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 it, was, it was not the best place to live. But, but you know what? Every Sunday we had students around and they had Bernard Matthews turkey, cheap turkey ends and lamb ends, whatever. But but we, we, we tried to, to make sure that our home was as hospitable as possible. And, and God, I, I don't know how God did it. I, we, we, I walked into the college on my first, first day with a thousand pounds. That was a lot of money in 1984. That was a year's fees. And it was all we had. And we, we, we were told by John Payton to save as much as we could and trust God for the rest and to go in faith and believe that God would meet our needs. And we went with a thousand pounds and I remember going into Eleanor Brocklebank's office and putting a thousand pounds down and she, she gave me a receipt and she said, that's you until next year, Philip. And I'm thinking to myself, what am I going to do next year? Ruth and I drove out of Nazarene Theological College in June, end of May, beginning of June 1987. All debts paid, and we had a little car that made it all the way to Scotland that the Lord had given us.
and we had a thousand pounds in the bank. And I want to say this, that God is no man's debtor. If your attitude is right and you put God first, and I'm not saying this to glorify Philip and Ruth McAllister, I'm saying this to glorify God. He will meet your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. All right. I don't know, is there another one up there? Yeah, there is a further question. Hold on, I know there's other questions, oh, but is, um, is there another text there? Yeah, here's, no, no, go back to that one. Go back to that one if you would. All right, this is from Luke, um, Luke 6. And Jesus is speaking on the Sermon on the Mount and he's, and he's talking about, um, about living a lifestyle where you're generous. And he says, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. Uh, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. We serve, we serve a tremendous God. And, and if, we, if we try to, to hold stuff back, we're, we're only damaging ourselves, to be honest with you. What God wants is for us to be a generous people, the way he, he's generous to us. Yeah. All right? Yeah. Okay, well, the next question then is, it's based around really a term that I know I grew up with in church. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure if, if you, you're here and you grew up with it, well, then you, you'll know kind of what I'm talking about. Although it's definitely one of the most... Um, misinterpreted words probably and for some people it's a joy and for some people you're like oh here we go right um and it's this it's this term here what is tithing right what is tithing especially for maybe people who, who aren't familiar with the term and is it compulsory do we have to tithe like you know right okay um i think i think i've started with the church's position on this one um, yeah, stewardship. Now, this is this is um, the important parts of Manual Paragraph Thirty Two. Stewardship. Scriptures teach that God is the owner of all persons and all things. All right, we believe that. We are His stewards of both life and possessions. Uh, we shall be accountable to God for the exercise of our stewardship. All His children should faithfully tithe and present offerings for the support of the gospel. All right. Now, the, the bottom part is the important bit. We, we should tithe our offering for the support of the gospel. That's, that's the, the Nazarene position on that. Now, a tithe is a tenth of your income. Um, do you want to ask me a question on that? No. It's a tenth of your income. Yeah, no, that's the last thing I'd say, especially you were talking actually this morning about good old Northern Ireland Christianity and Ulsterisms. Yeah, yeah. That was what I was always brought up with, was that you, you give 10% of your first fruits. As soon as your pay came in before tax, 10% goes to the Lord's house. So that's what I was brought up with. Yeah. But could you shed any light on it? Is it, you know, it, basically, I'm sure maybe it's a question that a lot of people have, particularly in my generation actually, is, 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 that, is that not Old Testament? Do we still have to do that now? Right. Well, I'm going, to, I'm going to show you the Old Testament reference first. And, and it's from Malachi 3.10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. All right? So it's, it's, for, it's for the spread of the gospel, basically. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so, so much blessing that there will not be enough room. Uh, will not be room enough. Uh, to store it. Um, so basically, the church's position is that, that those who know and love the Lord should honor the Lord and, and give, give to him a tenth of, of the income. Now, the question, there's all kinds of questions around this. Is that my top line before tax? Is it after tax? I don't want to get into that because the Pharisees tried to trap Jesus with the same kind of question on taxes. You know, they they just. Right. Shame.
Listen, I, I, I just want to say this, that I, that I really think that this is a personal thing. Yeah. Right? Um, it, it, you know, it, I'm, I've never, ever... This is, this is really difficult for me to do. I'm, I'm being honest with you. I don't mind giving glory to God and everything about what he's done for me and um, thanking the Lord for somebody that looks after my finances. I, I, I have a check here in my Bible, right? That was given to me last week. I haven't a clue what to do with it. I'll give it to Ruth and, and she'll know what to do with it. She'll put it into the bank. I, I don't even know how to put a check into the bank. I, I know nothing about that. Nothing. I'm being serious now. And I, I, I just thank God for that. But in, in terms of, it, it, this is really difficult for me to say because I have never, ever, ever, to the best of my knowledge, preached a sermon on tithing and told people, you need to give one-tenth of your income to the church. I think that's God's work. You know, I, I and, and some people have been very critical of me for, for not preaching on money and, and all the rest of it. We did it. We did a series on what about me, and I'm just thinking now. And when Michael and David uh, were here with me, and we did um, a week's devotions on tithing, and if if you've still got your book at home, go and read it. Because we basically said, this is between you and God. It's between you and God. And, and why, why would, would I want to stand up and say, you've got to give 10% of, of your income to the Lord, and you come to church begrudgingly and hand over 10%? Why? Why would I, I cause you to feel bad about giving to the Lord? The Lord wants us to give cheerfully, generously. And I think that that's something that only the Holy Spirit can create in an individual. You know, it's, it's the same, same to do with any part of Christian living. I could stand up here and say, you, you shouldn't do that, don't do that. And, and people then comply to what I say. Why? Because Philip McAllister says it. Well, that's not a good enough reason. You know, they, they've got it. It's got to be the Holy Spirit. Um, and and that's, that's where I was headed with this. In 2 Corinthians 9, 7, it says, each of you should give what you've decided to give in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And whatever is comfortable with you and God, amen. Do it, do it cheerfully, yeah. you know? And if, if God wants you to give more, He'll soon let you know. I'm telling you, he soon will let you know. Yeah. He, he, he has done it with me. Okay, follow question. That's Sorry. So, it's, no, right. so tithing, it's a personal thing, right, is, is really what we've taken out of that. And the purpose of tithing is, you brought it in scripture, was basically for the extension of the kingdom and for the gospel, right? But then the follow-up question we have for that is, you know, what's the why? Why should we give regularly and generously to the work of the local church in terms of if we're thinking spirit of generosity yeah um, one, of, one of the, the big myths around today is that the church is loaded and you know um, there's, there's lots of money in the coffers and, and people have this, this thought oh it's the church they'll be able to afford it um, there's a couple of things I want to say on the local church. One, one thing is this. Even if you are not a member of this local church, next Sunday there will be a report that will be given out and you're quite entitled to take it. And in that report will be all the reports of the different departments and everything. And our finances are there. And we are totally transparent and how we deal with God's money. And you can see what has come in, how it's been spent, and what is left over. And I, for most charities, the goal is that you'll, you'll be, is, is it four months, Robert? 
between three and six months. Um, you need to have three between three and six months in hand in case anything drastic happens so you can continue to function. You know, um, we run to the wire every year, every single year. And if it were not for um, gift aid, we would not make our outgoings. Gift aid keeps us afloat. And, and maybe that's, that's something that I, I would say to you. If you pay tax and you give to the church, talk to Robert and you can increase your giving to the church by 25% by not even giving one penny more. I, 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 don't, I don't understand why people would not want Boris Johnson to give the church an extra 25% of what I've given. Yeah. I, I, it baffles me. Yeah. Baffles me, but there you go. Yeah, we're really looking at a time in history that, that we have a government that does that for charitable organizations, doesn't it? You know, we're 25% on top of what you give. Yeah, well, let, let, me, let me tell you, I, I've, I've been quite a bit in the States and preached in the States, and some people have asked me about what happens. Here's what happens in the States. If, if I give £100 a week, to the church. I can go to the tax man and claim that money back for myself at the end of the tax year. The tax on it. Yeah. Right? So I get the 25% back. The church doesn't get it. And whenever I tell people in the States that if you, if you give to the church and gift aid, and the government gives the money to the church, their eyes nearly pop out of their head. And they think, everybody should do that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, yeah. So you should. There you go. Gifted. Okay. Um, where, where, where are we? You, you, the question was, why should, oh, we, why should we do it? Well, let me, let, let's go back to the early church because the, the early church, I think, sets a good principle for us. Acts 2. Um, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Those are the four principles that they, they devoted themselves to. Everyone was filled with awe um, at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. But it goes on and it says this, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. There was, a, there was a generosity in the church. And if they came across somebody that was in, in desperate need, if, if they didn't have the money to, to help them out, they would have gone and sold something and, and then given the money to them. Yeah. And, and I think that, that really, if we want to see the kingdom of God extended, that we, we really do need to finance the local church. The local church is the only church that we've got. Yeah. All right? And the other thing that I want to say, and most of you won't be aware of this, but if you're part of the, the Nazarene denomination, um, our tithes and offerings, our Sunday, Sunday morning tithes and offerings are calculated by the district. And we then have district budgets to pay. All right. Now, can't remember, Robert. There's, there's about, is it, is about twelve hundred pounds a month. Yeah, it's about twelve hundred pounds a month goes out um, before, before we ever start to, to think about what we can do in the local church. But, but we're, we're glad we pay that. In fact, we overpay our budgets, uh, and, and we have done because we want to be generous. But if you're an independent church. You don't have that, you know. You, we're we're the the way that some of our churches look upon this is a tax, but we never have. I mean, our our folks are on the board are very very diligent in paying our way and making sure that we we do keep on top of that. But anyway, so what I'm saying to you is, we run to the wire. We do. We run to the wire. 
Three quick fire questions, because yeah. uh, short talks, hot topics is the worst marketing thing we've ever come up with. They're never short. Um, <laughs> three quick fire questions, really quick. Actually, so, we're, not, we're not too bad. It's really 25 to eight. We're doing all right. So, all right. Well, three qu- so how many years in ministry are you now? Uh, 33. Okay, 33 years of ministry experience. Um, when you have seen, in your experience, when you have seen the general giving of the church decrease, um, and that's, if you want to put it this way, that kind of spurt of generosity leave, um, what happens? Um, in all honesty, I haven't really experienced that. Really? No. Oh. I've, I've noticed here over the last number of years that our giving has gone down slightly, you know. Um, but I, I, haven't, I haven't been in that position. But having been a district superintendent and, and been, you know, uh, drawn alongside churches where the giving has gone down, it, it's, it's a depressive mm. thing. It's an oppressive thing as well um, because churches are not able to pay their budgets, yeah. all right? And, and then there's this kind of bad attitude that comes in, but we need to keep our money to keep ourselves going, you know? And, and that's not a good thing. That's, it's not a good thing. I think, I think the Lord wants us to have a, a positive attitude towards finances. Um, I think we could do an awful lot more if we, if we had more money, but hey, that's the attitude, isn't it? It's, is, is this obligatory or is this an opportunity yep. To, yep. To, to give to the local church? Um, okay, next one then. On the flip side of that is in your experience of ministry, when the, you know, the giving and, and the, the tithing has increased in God's house, what's the result of that then? Well, I would, I would maybe look, up, look at it from the other way around. <laughs> All right? Yeah, go for it. Here's, 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 what, I, here's what I think happens. And, and I, I'm not 100% sure on this, but I think this is what happens. You see, if people are happy in the church, they'll give. Especially when they know there's a need. Now, I heard somebody say recently about our own congregation here that they've, they've never experienced a more generous congregation. Especially when there is a need. Yeah. Um, you know, if, if you think about Cameron... Uh, for our Advent project, you know, the young man that was knocked down and we, we said we'd, we'd help him out. Two and a half thousand pounds from this congregation. That's phenomenal. At Christmas, at a time whenever people need their money. But I, there's, a, there's a real generosity here. Um, I would love to see that continue. And I, and I think that, that whenever, whenever people are content in the church, and they're happy in the church that they'll give. If people get annoyed about something, first thing they do is they say, you know, I'm not going to give my money to them. You know? <laughs> you know? But, but if, if people are happy and contented in their church, they'll give. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and I, would, I would love to think that we, that we would have a generous spirit here in the church. And we, we do have, but it's like everything else, we could always do better. We could always do better. Yeah. Do you, th- this is a curveball really quickly. Do you ever, or have you noticed a difference in generations when it comes oh, absolutely. to giving? Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. I, no, I, don't, I don't have uh, evidence from the local congregation here. Yeah. But I do know that in the lives of my children, when they were walking with God as closely as they should have been. Two of them aren't now, and that's a real heartache to us at the moment. But um, one, one of the things that I've noticed is that if they will give liberally, if they know that their giving is going to make a difference in somebody's life. So they'll give to a project rather than give to the church. Mm. That, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. 
all right? And, and I, I think there is, there is this thing that many of us who are older in the church grew up with this attitude, you know, give the Lord his tithe. And we've done that. And we've done it gladly. I don't see the younger generation stepping into that, yeah. that, that position. Yeah. But if, if the, the way that um, the need was presented was, was more creative and they saw that the people's lives were going to be impacted and changed, I think there's a, there's a different understanding, though, of longevity. So, for example, like, yep. definitely my generation, it's if I can see, like, an instant picture online of, like, something that's been built because of my money or something that's been dug because of my money, then there's, like you said, you're more willing to give to it. If there's mm -hmm. almost immediate mm -hmm. um, evidence or that, that it's happened, whereas I think older generations are better understanding the longevity of giving. So, for example, one of the best things, I, I had a, an aunt, who, so where this came from, my uncle's in ministry, and sometimes we, you know what it's like, discussions around the dinner table around, you know, leadership, ministry, church, and I said to him, what is the one thing our generation, my generation, so let's, but let's really widen that out. So let's say people in their 40s and all the way down, right? Or people up to 40 and down. Um, I said, what, what's one thing our generation is really, really good at? And what's one thing our generation is not good at? And the thing he said immediately was, you just don't tithe. He said, you don't tithe. Um, and some of the, I think one thing we need to understand is that if, you, if you're below the age of 40 in here, um, I can probably say this pretty safely, everything that we have at Carrick Nazarene, we didn't build it. We didn't build this. This is not ours. We, we are inheriting something that we did not build, which is a good thing because it shows that the generation before were good givers, were faithful givers, but what are we going to build next? Because it shouldn't stop here. It's, it's to continually progress and the kingdom is to grow and the church is to grow, but eventually that, that baton is being passed to us and we, this, the younger generations, let's adopt the spirit of generosity. Let's adopt a spirit of giving to emulate the generations gone by because so many churches are built by people who just went to work, lived for God every day, and just gave to God's house faithfully. They didn't need to see a picture of where it was going to because they knew that they were giving it to the Lord. They knew they were giving it to his work. They knew they were giving it to his house. And this is the kind of thing that gets built because of it. And if we want to continue to expand the kingdom, if we want to continue to grow the church at a local level, then we've got to take on the same spirit of generosity as the generations before us. There's a challenge for you. Gifted, no joke, but do. <laughs> Last question um, is this. If, if somebody's sitting in here tonight and uh, they're maybe struggling in, in an area of finance, and, and that can maybe look like um, debt, for example, or a whole host of other things, or, or just simply trying to meet the end make ends meet at the end of the month. Um, what would you say to them? What's the event? Well, there's, there's, there's one thing that I want to pick up. Um, you said, what would my advice be to younger couples? Mm -hmm. Now, we, the younger couples who are in the congregation that, that I've, I've had the privilege of, of marrying, um, we've, we've talked extensively about finances when they come for their premarital counselling. And the one thing that we say to them is this, whether you have one bank account or two bank accounts, somebody needs to take charge of finances. Somebody needs to have a handle on what's going on in the house. Otherwise, you end up with credit card bills and you end up paying extortionate rates on um, credit card um, interest. Um, so I, that, that's something that I would say, you know, that if, if there's a young couple in here and they're struggling with their finances, you need to sit down and you, you do need good advice. Now, if anybody is, is struggling, if somebody is in debt, um, Emma, bring up the next slide, please. Um, Christians Against Poverty are an excellent organization. Now, somebody, somebody said recently here in, in one of our discussions on the Wednesday night in our Bible study, not every church is called to do everything, right? Um, but the Green Island Baptist Church is the center for Christians Against Poverty. 
and there's a field worker who is um, who works out of uh, the Baptist Church there in Green Island. Um, the Baptist Church in Carrickfergus also have individuals who are trained in, in helping people. And Christians Against Poverty have done a tremendous job in drawing alongside people and giving them realistic alternatives as to how they could address any debt that they've accumulated and, and how to, to negotiate. And, and sometimes they, they do the negotiation for you. But, but they, will, they will help you to um, bring all of your debt into to one and, and then make repayments. And, and they will talk to people that you're in debt to. So uh, my advice is if anybody is struggling, uh, really, really struggling, that you talk to me and I'll signpost you. I'll give you the details. Um, yeah. It's not something that we, we take on ourselves here, but we don't need to because we work with, with other Christian groups and Christian organizations, and, and the best thing for us to do is to signpost and, and let other people help. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's us for tonight. Have you enjoyed it? Yeah, good. Have you anything else to add before we, before we close and pray? Um, yeah. One last thing. I'm not going to rant Ruth out. <laughs> I, I can't. I, I, never, I never give her credit. Really, I, I slag her off from the pulpit on, on quite a lot of occasions. You know, and, and she, she has suffered a lot with that down through the years. But she has kept a firm eye on our finances. And she has always put God first. Yeah. And her attitude to giving and loving is, is what I think God wants to, to nurture in each of us. Yeah. You know? I'm a different kettle of fish altogether. You know, I, money means nothing to me. You know, I, she'll say to me on a Monday morning, do you, do you need any money this week? And, and I, I'll say, don't really know. And I, I said, sure, you can give me something. He said, no point in giving you money. Every time you get it, you only spend it. <laughs> what, are you, what are you supposed to do with it? You know, so I... I I, I phoned a pastor up one day and um, invited him out for coffee. I knew he was going through a tough time. And we met halfway and, and we went to this coffee shop. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, I don't have a penny in my pocket. <laughs> and I've invited this guy out for coffee. And I'm, I'm sitting there praying and thinking, I hope he has. I hope his wife's not like mine. Uh, but, but I do think honestly, that, that somebody needs to take control of, of finances. It's, it's one, one area, actually, that, that I saw split uh, a couple up mm -hmm. because they couldn't agree on finances. It was one of the first couples that I married, and, and it was hurtful, really, really hurtful to see two Christians fight over money. Um, and my advice is is ask the Lord just to show you what to do with your finances. And if you ask and if you seek, you'll find. And God will speak to your heart. Yeah. yeah. All right. Are we going to sing? Or are you just going to pray? Well, you guys have suffered enough. We'll just pray. And we'll, <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll, we'll call it quits while we're between the stage and here. Just I, I would just never have said that about the praise band, <laughs> that we have suffered enough. We, I was enough. talking about us, right. not them. Right. <laughs> I love you, praise band. I wasn't talking about you. Well, guys, you know, you know me right now. I believe in giving honour where honour is due. And the wisdom that was given tonight is, is obviously not just through 
Um, Pastor Philip is, is obviously from Ruth's experience and, and wealth of living as well. So um, for the wisdom that we've heard tonight, why don't we just put our hands together and honor Pastor Philip and Ruth. For... All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for wisdom. We thank you, Lord, that in Ephesians 1, we already have the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Holy Spirit. And so Holy Spirit, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, Father, would you help us to deal with our finances better? Would you give us wisdom of how to spend money, how to use money, and how to invest money into your kingdom? Father, we would ask that for those of us who are feeling convicted tonight about our generosity, Father, we want more of a spirit of generosity. Lord, we want to give beyond what we are. Father, Lord, we want to give breathtakingly awesome amounts of generosity, God, to the local church, to people in need, and to our local community. And Father, I just ask now that as we're gathered together corporately in your house, that we would really experience the spirit of generosity. Father, we may not see the effects immediately, but Father, give us eyes that are stamped with eternity. That Father, every single ounce of ourselves that we give generously is not just about now, but Father, it's about a world to come. It's about investing in things that will go far beyond ourselves and far beyond our own generation that we represent. Father, give us eyes that see the longevity of the importance of giving to your house, to your kingdom, and to your work. Father, we ask for a spirit of generosity. Give us the conviction to carry it through. Lord, we love you. Lord, we honor you. And the whole church said, Amen. Amen. Amen.